Welcome to the party, pal. The Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Broadcasting across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator. And around the world at MichaelDukeShow.com on the internet. Good morning and welcome to it. It is The Michael Dukes Show. And uh, we've got your Thursday edition of Stuff and Things. (laughs) Stuff, Lori, and Things. Uh, that's what we've got going on here on the uh, on the broadcast today. Lots of good discussion, and I hope that you are buckled up and ready to go this morning. We're going to start off here with a few headlines, just talk about some of the things that's happening here around the state, and then we're going to uh, and then we're going to dive into it with Dr. James H. Snyder, PhD, who's going to come in and talk to us about the Constitutional Convention. Now, he's a national fellow who is the editor of the State Constitutional Convention Clearinghouse. That's a project that focuses on the most difficult areas of uh, reform, basically where elected officials have a, a conflict of interest in bringing about reforms that might reduce their own power. And uh, I am definitely looking forward to hearing what he has to say this morning. We're going to talk with him about all the ins and outs of that uh and uh hopefully we'll get some we'll have to, we'll get some good insights uh specifically into what the process is and uh you know what are the risks and um you know wh- wh- how does it you know how does it work i mean how can and, and, and if it can be improved i guess that'll be the other thing that we uh, uh we should talk about so we're going to uh we're going to deal with that and uh We'll we'll jump into we'll jump into all that here in just a few moments, and we'll be talking with him about that uh, then. In hour two of the program, we're going to talk with Kathy Hansley, who is the candidate for Municipal Assembly District Four down in Anchorage. Uh, and as I said uh, previously, or as I have said previously, uh, you know, many of you would be like, "Well, I don't live in Anchorage. Why do I care?" Well, because you know, I got to tell you. You best be paying attention to what's going on in Anchorage because, as goes Anchorage, uh, so has, you know, so the rest of the state has a tendency to go. So that's that's kind of the the direction that things are are happening there. So we're going to talk with Kathy Hensley in hour two of the program. So Dr. Snyder, Kathy Hensley, full boat today, full show, full stop. That's all the stuff that we're going to be dealing with here. Um. <clears throat> So, uh, hey, uh, let's hit the headlines and talk about a few things. First and foremost, have uh, have you noticed the gas prices? <laughs> I mean, I filled up yesterday. Uh, I filled up my car, and uh, you know, it's it's got a pretty small tank on it. Uh, but even it's like eleven gallons, and it was sixty dollars. Right? I mean, it was just it was. It was brutal. 
brutal. I can't imagine you poor guys who are out there driving those big trucks with 30-gallon tanks in it, what what it must be like. I mean, uh, I saw a comment from somebody yesterday on Facebook uh, that said, uh, you know, said, geez, thanks. Cut It cut off, I mean, because it's got, you know, most of those pumps have got a cutoff where they stop at $125 or something. He goes, cut off, and I'm just barely three-quarters full, uh, you know, having to run the card again. And do, I mean, it's just – it's it's going to be tough. But, you know, it's going to be even tougher for our uh, our kith and kin out in the uh, – out in the out in the bush, out in the villages. Uh, there's an article uh, from KTUU, Alaska's news source, here uh, yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. Um and it was talking about what is, you know, what's coming. Uh, now, this is, you know, there's there's a lot of factors at play here. We've got inflation. We've got the, uh, you know, oil prices were already on the rise. And now we've got the uh, president's position to stop importing Russian oil. Uh, and that is all leading to something that is just not looking good. Back on March 1st, Mike Poston, who is the director of sales at Vitus Energy, said that uh, crude oil prices at that time, uh, that was on March the 1st, uh, were already up 50% higher than they were in June of last year. And he said at that time that the market should plan for an increase in energy prices well over $1.50 a gallon higher than last fall. And then eight days later, Vitus said there was already been another increase of 54 cents to the price of a gallon of gasoline and uh, diesel. So <laughs> you're talking about a $2 increase over where it was last fall. So, yeah, I mean, we're already seeing $7 plus a gallon gasoline in California uh, and in some of the other higher areas. Now, that, of course includes that some of these places have got, you know, ludicrous amounts of fuel tax and other things. But when you're seeing seven dollars and you know seven sixty one a gallon or something for for standard fuel, let alone for uh <clears throat> let alone for uh uh you know premium or something like that, it uh it definitely becomes worrying. Yesterday I was uh at the pump and I uh I, I, I snapped a picture of it. $5.49 a gallon for uh for my car has a turbocharger on it so I have to run supreme in my car $5.49 a gallon uh and it's and it's just it's just going up from here my friends just going up from here so those of us who do a lot of driving and commuting it's going to hit our pocketbooks but you know those folks in the villages they're talking about right now um, according to uh, Shaktulik Native Corporation, they said that Shaktulik gasoline in Shaktulik was already selling for four ninety six a gallon with tax. And he said the way projections are going, I would say you could just about double that. And for other communities, it means that their power bills could go up by another 50%. Which, you know, this whole thing always seems kind of ironic to me. We live in a state that is... Um, you know, that is just flush with energy resources, oil and natural gas. And yet we are the ones that seem to get pegged every time something like this happens. The state benefits because the oil prices skyrocket and the citizens who are the owners of the resource seem to take it, you know, they, 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 they get the sticky end of the, of the shaft, so to speak.
Uh, it's just it's it's just crazy. And of course, exactly when you get down to the end of it, this they they mentioned the House is uh, debating whether to pay the thirteen hundred dollar energy relief check. When what you should be talking about is how do we get them their $4,200 per person dividend. That would definitely offset a lot of the cost of this instead of a $1,250 dividend plus the $1,300 energy relief check, which is, again, still half of what a full PFD should be. Uh, And in fact, Governor Dunleavy is quoted to say, look, he said the, the PFD is the best way to disperse relief. I couldn't, I mean, I couldn't agree more. Right? I could not agree more. Of course, you know, the, the the politicians can't see it because they just do not want to give up the, you know, they got their hand in the piggy bank. They got their hand in the cookie jar and they do not want to let go. You remember the old you remember the old story about the the you know the monkey who sticks his hand in the jar where the orange is and he can't, you know, he can't get his hand out because his hand is too big for the, you know. But he's not willing to let go of the of the orange. And so it's just this kind of that's exactly what it's like. The legislature's got their hand on that orange and they do not want to let it go. They could get their hand out of there if they wanted to, but they just don't want to let it go. That's that, that's what it's looking like right now. So, I mean, that's like the biggest story going. I mean, that's the thing that's going to hit us and affect us most uh, coming into this summer. Uh, and then, of course, going into next, we have no idea what's going to be happening next winter. You poor folks who have to depend on heating oil, how much is heating oil going to be? $7 a gallon? I mean, 6 7 I mean, I don't know. I don't even know. But it blows my mind. I remember when I first filled up my tank, uh, the first time when we bought our house, man, this has been 15 years ago, uh, up in Fairbanks, and, you know, I paid whatever I paid, I think I paid 96 cents a gallon or something for heating oil at the time. Look at us now. How, how, you know, how do you fill up a thousand gallon heating tank when it's six or $7 a gallon? Well, I guess that's what you use your PFD for, right? Maybe not. All right. uh, We're going to get into that, but I do want to mention one of our fine, fine sponsors on the program. Now, look, if you know me, you know that I'm a guy that, uh, uh, you know, Ready for anything is kind of my is kind of my motto. If I had a you know if I was like in a Game of Thrones thing where I had my own house and everything, uh, you know the 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 motto would be ready for anything. I'm always trying to be prepared for the worst eventuality of any kind, just in case. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I have a bivy stick. Bivy stick is a small, tiny little device that about half the size of your cell phone. That you connect to your cell phone via Bluetooth, you download the app, and you can connect the two, and it turns your cell phone into a satellite communications device, which means anywhere you can see the sky, you can send a text message, you can send an email, you can drop a pin to your friends and relatives and people who are following you. Uh, I mean, somebody could have had a bivy stick out on the Iditarod, and they could have been you know, dropping pins so you could keep track of them all along the way. Um, but also in an emergency situation, you could push a button and say, help me, I'm, I'm hurt or I need something. Uh, you could push the, it's got a check-in button that says, everything's fine, all's well, here's where I am. And you can get all that for 199 bucks. No activation fees. They've got plans that start as low as $14 a month with rollover. So any unused credits that you don't use, you can roll them over to the next month. They've got their unlimited plan, which is the one I'm on, is 45 bucks a month. 
And uh, it is just an amazing little device. You got disasters, you got cell phone towers down, earthquakes, you know, tornadoes, zombie apocalypse, whatever. They, you've got it. You got cellular congestion. Maybe it's just something's going on and everybody's trying to dial everybody at once. You don't have to worry about it because you're dealing, you're on the Iridium satellite network. You, you are talking directly to your people. I'm buying my wife one to put it in the glove box of her car so that she can just pull it out at any time. If there's some kind of emergency, turn it on. It'll last for five days of continuous usage on a single charge, by the way. And uh, send me a text or send me an email and tell me what's happening. Make sure she's okay. And they're always rolling out new features. They've always got new features. They're going to be talking about this thing in a few days. Uh, it's called Group Track. I'm not going to tell you anything else about it other than it's a cool feature. And you're going to want to know more about it. So it doesn't matter if you are a hunter or a fisherman, a snow machiner, a doctor, a tow truck driver, an Avon lady, soccer mom, whatever it is that you do, you could benefit from having a bivy stick in your kit. Whether it's your emergency kit in your car or just sitting in the bottom of your purse. I just carry mine around in the pocket of my coat just in case I need it. $199, you don't get that peace of mind from anything else. The bivy stick, you can find out more over at SatelliteWest.com. Or you can go to one of their local dealers, including Arctic Fire and Safety in Fairbanks, South Central Radar in the Spit in Homer, Radar Alaska in Kodiak, Communications North in Seward, Lundy Marine Electronics in Dutch Harbor, and Safe and Sound in Wasilla, Anchorage, or Soldotna, any of the three Safe and Sound locations. Check them out. Bivy Sticks. Tell them thank you for sponsoring the program. Uh, We appreciate you guys uh, being part of it. All right, um, we've got, uh, well, in just a second, we're going to be talking with Dr. J.H. Snyder about uh, the CONCON and what does that mean for Alaskans, and then we will pick things up with Kathy uh, Hensley uh, at the second hour mark. That's it. Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We'll be back with more and uh, Dr. J.H. Schneider on the CONCON right after this. Our light, our guide, and our trusted friend. Okay. Wow. How you guys doing? You ready to go? You uh, ready to do your to do your thing? Good. Um, I am going to uh, get Doctor uh, Schneider on the program. We'll see if we can get uh, things ready to go on here. If you want to give me just one second to do this, we'll get uh, everything put together. I'm waiting for the phone to ring. Maybe I didn't dial enough numbers. No, it didn't even ring. Didn't even ring. Went right to voicemail. That's never a good sign. We'll try it again here in just a hot second. Um. Okay. Uh. What else? Too bad. Let's see, price gouging is already starting in the bush. When you're 135 miles above Bethel on a frozen river, your fuel prices jump. You know it's time for the state to put the state regulators out here and keep an eye on the monopoly fuel supplier. Uh, is it made by Pivotel? No, it's made by ACR. Uh, Bill is asking, is the thing made by Pivotel? No, it's made by ACR. 
Dan says heating oil yesterday in Fairbanks was $3.97 a gallon. Ooh, you better fill up now. That's what I'm saying. You better fill up now. It's gonna, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a thing. Uh, it's going to be a thing. You want to, you want to save yourself some, uh, you want to save yourself some heartache. Now's the time to, uh, now's the time to do it. Because I can just imagine. I mean, like I said, I'm literally looking at the picture from the gas pump yesterday. Five dollars and forty nine cents a gallon. So, three ninety seven seems like a pretty good price right now. So we'll see what happens. Oh man. Uh okay. What else is going on? Um, good morning. The PFD is uh raking in cash. We're about to have a ludicrous tax on gas thanks to the legislature. Maybe the people in the bush will start to question whether their legislators are representing them by stealing their PFD. This is exactly why the PFD is important. I would agree with that. I would agree, Ken. Chris says the problem is the government wants your PFD. Again, the monkey and the orange. Remember that. Uh, the problem is the legislature has control over the PFD. They have shown time and again that they can't be trusted. Um, let's see. Russian oil exports are only 3% to the USA. It's actually 8%, but you're right, and we don't really take any of the Russian exports here in Alaska. <clears throat> Uh, fuel for North Pole has jumped roughly a dollar fifty over the last two weeks. Is Jeremy five twenty nine a gallon for diesel is killing my bank account. Uh, yeah, I could see that for sure. All right, let me uh, see if I can get uh, Doctor Snyder on the phone. Dum 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 dum. Michael Luke's calling. Are you, are you? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You ready? All right. Welcome back uh, to the program. We're about to rejoin the radio. We're about uh, 60 seconds out from uh, rejoining from the commercial break. Uh, joining us on the line right now is uh, Dr. J.H. Snyder, National Fellow with the State Constitutional Convention, uh, National Fellow, rather, from the Harvard uh, School of Government and uh, editor of the State Constitutional Convention Clearinghouse. He joins us this morning to talk a little bit about the Constitutional Convention uh, the process, how it works, the pros and the cons, the ups and downs of it, and how he thinks it could be one of the most powerful forces in uh, our form of government. And uh, I'm kind of excited to talk with him about it. We're about to jump back on, uh, Dr. Snyder, so hold the line, and we'll be to you here in just a hot second. Do me a favor, folks. Please like and share this video. If you're on Facebook, you can like and share. If you're on YouTube, you can share, and you can also subscribe and ring the bell. Uh, don't forget, we need more folks involved in this conversation, so uh, let's all be part of it, shall we? Jumping back into it, the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Here we go.
Broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator and around the world of MichaelDukeShow.com on the interwebs on a variety of outlets, YouTube, Twitch, uh, Facebook, the own stream over at MichaelDukeShow.com. That's right. You can find us everywhere. We're about to jump into it here and start talking about the Constitutional Convention. And you've heard some of my concerns, uh, some of my worries about uh, what could possibly happen there. And we're going to talk about that, and we're going to discuss uh, kind of the process, because its I don't think many of us know or understand the full process as well. Joining us on the program this morning is Dr. J.H. Snyder. He's a national fellow from the Harvard uh, School of Government and editor of the State Constitutional Convention Clearinghouse. That's a project that uh, of public policy that focuses on uh, the most difficult areas of democratic reform, basically, as I was talking about earlier with the monkey and the orange in the jar, where elected officials have a conflict of interest in bringing about reforms where they might reduce their own power. Holy gasp, that that couldn't possibly happen. Dr. Snyder joins us this morning to discuss this uh, and the Constitutional Convention. Good morning, doctor. Thanks for coming on board. Hi. Um, I thought I should start by explaining the process, because there's a lot of confusion about the process. Sure. Uh, let's, okay. Yeah, let's let's start there. I think that's a good uh, kicking off point. So uh, a key feature of the process is there's three votes for the public. The first vote is the one that's coming up this November, which is the vote on whether to call a constitutional convention. The second vote for the public is on uh, electing the delegates to the convention, and the third vote is on whether uh, all a convention does is propose uh, possible amendments to the Constitution. And the third vote is whether to approve or disapprove uh, of a convention. The key feature that differs between a legislative-initiated amendments and convention-initiated amendments is that the convention, rather than the legislature, proposes the amendments that then have to be voted up or down by the public. And that's a... Uh, an important distinction to keep in mind because opponents of the convention will typically pretend that a convention not only proposes but ratifies or approves their own recommendations. So that's right. important. And well, this gets to the question, well, why bother having a, a convention do the proposing rather than the legislature? After all, it's less expensive to have the legislature do it. So let's have them... Uh, do it. But the key feature to understand is that this, like the constitutional initiative, is a legislative bypass mechanism. So right. um, uh, you want to have a different body proposing amendments for certain types of amendments. And if I could just get into a little bit of constitutional theory, which most Americans don't get at all. When people talk about constitutions, they often say, oh, a constitution... It's more fundamental law that makes it harder to um, uh, that's harder to change than ordinary law laws. But this uh, uh, that misses really a key point about why we have constitutions. Constitutions are the people's law. They are uh, uh, we do not want to have this, the constituted powers. That's the legislative, executive, and judicial branch designing their own powers. With constitutional law, it's we want it to be above constituted powers. We want the constituent power, the people, to have control over the process. And that's why the people not only ratify 
uh, anything that's proposed to change a constitution, but have proposal should have proposal power. And that goes back to the 1770s in Massachusetts when the institution was invented. In all new states, and until the middle of the 19th century, most amendments were actually passed through this mechanism. Uh, then, then the the one we're all familiar with, uh, legislative initiated amendments came in because they're less expensive, right? Uh, more convenient, but there's still this fundamental purpose, and that's the demo- the contemporary democratic function of this institution uh, is largely as a legislative bypass uh, right. mechanism. I would all argue it's also more deliberative than the initiative approach, uh, but I think the core one for Alaska would be. Uh, if you're going to call one, it's because it's a legislative bypasses. Right. Well, and and I think that's one of the major points. I mean, in your you know in one of your bios there again, it talks about elected officials having this conflict of interest in bringing about reforms that reduce their own power, and that's really again the that is the most powerful part about a constitutional convention is legislators don't want to give up their own power. They don't want to take their hand off the tiller. Sometimes people need to jump around the line and you know and and go over their head, so to speak. And this is the mechanism by which that happens every 10 years in these various uh, uh, states around the country. Yeah, now I'd like to make a, a caveat, which is that a statehood, statehood constitutional convention is a little bit different. There, it's actually a statehood constitutional convention is a bit of a power grab for legislators and other constitutional powers because, you know, instead of a colonial power, an outside entity uh, controlling your affairs, you're controlling them themselves. So actually, the legislature is empowered with a statehood constitution. So the politics are quite different. But as soon as they have that power, legislators you know, turn against the institution, as well as um, any, uh, uh, any special interest that by definition excels at influencing the legislature. They view this as a, um, as a very risky thing. Uh, they've invested in their relationships with the legislature, and they'll, they'll of course, oppose a constitutional convention. And that's whether on the left or the right, uh, uh, same with the legislature, they're going to oppose it right. because it's not in their power. You, you talked about the three votes that we have. Can you break down the process here in the state of Alaska? So, I mean, if we if we vote uh, for the constitutional convention in November, what is the process then next? I mean, then then you know, so walk us through it from start to finish, essentially. Well, uh, there uh, some concerns are, are raised. The typical approach to a constitutional convention is you elect delegates like you elect legislatures, but you're not supposed to elect in, in, uh, elected public officials because that's a conflict of interest. Now, that wasn't completely the way Alaska did it in the 1950s. They allowed legislatures to serve on the statehood constitutional convention. Uh, but ideally, um, as other states have done it, and Alaska should do it, um, they should be prevented. Uh, there is a clause uh, that if uh, the legislature doesn't pass enabling legislation, it should default to the mechanism used to elect the delegates to Hawaii's 1955-1956 uh, constitutional convention. And that's a, a problem, in my judgment, because that will um, uh, 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 those rules really are no longer uh, valid in today's day and age. They, one person, one vote hadn't been implemented by the Supreme Court at that time. So I think it is potentially a problem. But the basic idea is that um, a convention, del- convention delegates 
should be elected similarly to legislative delegates. And why this uh, still preserves the purpose of a constitutional convention is that you do not um, want uh, delegates uh, designing offices that they will then <clears throat> inhabit. Right. Uh, the idea is that uh, delegates are designing reforms that won't affect them because they'll have to leave their office before they're implemented. So that fundamental conflict of interest doesn't pertain to delegates. So it's not a, 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 it, it preserves the key function of the Constitution of Convention uh, to be elected like legislators uh, uh, if uh, those folks are, are not designing the uh, right. The offices that they currently occupy are they uh, are they elected by district? Is that is that how it works by current voting districts? Is that uh, is that how it's uh, it comes out? Well, in theory, the legislature could do um, whatever it wanted. My hunch is that the legislature would find an excuse to stalemate and not pass it. That's why they have that default measure of going back to 1955 and 1956. So you don't have clear rules. You've got a collective body, and they just have to pretend not to get something done for it not to happen. So it could very well go to the courts. Right. Well, let's suppose that for some reason that the delegates do get installed. Then they would, what, they would convene? They would discuss the measures and the changes that they would like to see to the Constitution? Uh, they would agree on yeah, that, well, I'm it's assuming? Not, it's not, yeah, that, that's right. In 1955-56, they met for 75 days and proposed a... Um, a constitution. Now, what I what I like about the uh, Alaskan um, uh, delegates is not that they were geniuses or statesmen, but they had um, humility. They were willing uh, to learn from what others had done. Basically, the way most constitution conventions work is they collect a whole bunch of different constitutions from other states, and and then they cut and paste. And they might add a few details. But the uh, a willingness uh, to learn, I think, is the, the key feature, and that's what those folks were. They hired, uh, brought in outside consultants that proposed a, the model constitution Alaska pick was from the National Municipal League very closely. They, they stuck closely. The top consultant was the vice president of, of the league. They brought in this consulting firm from Chicago with a lot of expertise in this matter, and they drafted many of the proposals. They were, they were very active. Uh, they did pretend that those folks weren't as involved with as they were. They were not allowed to mention the name of the consultants um, during any of their events. They would not, at the, their many public hearings, they would not allow the consultants to speak. But uh, it, it was that sense of humility that I think distinguished um, the Alaskan uh, delegates. Right. They were willing to learn uh, right. As opposed to being full of uh, self confidence that they knew all the answers and whatnot. Uh, and it's very hard in such a short time to become an expert on these So once they, uh, once they did come together and they decided whatever change or whatever modifications needs to be done, then that would, it's not, as you mentioned earlier, it's not ratification, right? Because then it needs to be voted on by the people. Uh, as a change in and of itself. Is that correct? Yeah. Now, they actually proposed three uh, items at the convention. The, the one that's most famous and best known is is the Constitution itself. They also proposed something called the Tennessee Plan, 
which was uh, their clever approach uh, to elect representatives and senators for Alaska, even though Congress hadn't approved that. And they went to to Congress and actually were effective in helping them win statehood. So they put that on the ballot as a separate measure that won, and then they had one on state fisheries uh, that they put on the ballot uh, uh, as well. But um, anyway, yeah, that's the basic uh, uh, setup. Uh, well, so let's talk about, again, a couple more of the mechanics, the timing of it. How long does something like this take normally? I mean, historically in other states and things like that, how much would theoretically something like this take and how much would it cost? Well, the duration is um, a, a, a bit of a, a wild card. There are many of the early constitutional conventions uh, setting up states in the early 19th century. There were a bunch of farmers that came together. They cut and pasted uh, constitutions from other um, states, and they were done in, in 15 days. Um, and um, the whole thing... Uh, remember, under the Northwest Ordinance, you only need 60,000 people to become a state. I mean, it's such a different world. Alaska thinks of itself as small, but even in 1956 or seven, it was giant compared to many early American states. But I think it had a population of about 220,000, right. which is three and a half times what the minimum was required. Um, but most modern constitutional conventions... Uh, you know, take longer, and the public typically gets upset in the press the longer uh, they go. So, it's it's pretty hard um, to predict. Uh, here, it's hard to imagine that they would propose a new constitution. They would propose a bunch of amendments. That right. would be the function. Right. Uh, and you know, a, that's that's a judgment call. Um, Sorry, I, I can't answer that question, but um, I know the cost issue will be highly publicized, especially if it's at all close in the month before the opponents. Uh, that will be one of several arguments that they will hammer on. Right. That, you know, you could spend on, uh, all that money on other things that would really help Alaskans. Sure, sure. It's just a, a waste of money. So that's going to be because people can understand money and, uh, and cost. The, the, the numbers they will use will be highly flawed. The press typically won't go into the details. No, there's an Alaskan senator that has already put out a position paper for the no folks. I'm sure his numbers, which are just, it's an awful, highly subjective. It's a classic. <laughs> um, you have the legitimacy of Alaskan senator putting this thing together that looks somewhat official. And then you go through and you see, you know, all the assumptions all skewed in a in a certain way. Right. And then, of course, there's the question of what is the cost of of not having a convention, right? Which is never addressed. If you ask the average American how much government waste, for example, they'll tell you like thirty to forty percent of government expenditures are are wasted. If a convention even reduced government waste by a fraction of a percent or one percent, let's say, you know, there would be an incredible return on investment. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, the uh, the lost opportunity cost definitely a uh, factor into that. We're talking with Doctor. Yeah. Anyway, that won't be part of the, dis- the discussion. The opponents, uh, which will control the advertising and what, just based on 
what's been going on for the last 20, 20 years or so. Right. Dr. Uh, Dr. J. H. Schneider is our guest. Again, he's a national fellow with the Harvard uh, Kennedy School of Government uh, and an editor of the State Constitutional Convention Clearinghouse. We're talking about the potential for a state constitutional convention here in Alaska. We have to take a quick commercial break, and when we come back, we're going to talk with him more about the difference between a limited and an unlimited convention, and then maybe some of the potential pitfalls of the convention, including some of my own fears. We'll talk about that here in uh, just a moment. The Michael Duke Show continues with Dr. J.H. Snyder and the Constitutional Convention. That's up next. Don't go anywhere. Back with more right after this. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the commercial break right now, uh, waiting uh, to rejoin the radio. Uh, We're still on with our friends here on Facebook and YouTube and everything else, 50, 60 different people hanging out with us. Uh, Doctor, uh, we'd like to change gears just a little bit during the commercial break so we don't repeat ourselves too much. Uh, but uh, can you tell us tell us a little bit about uh, the State Constitutional Convention Clearinghouse? Tell us about this project and what you're trying to accomplish there. Uh, well, there's 14 states with this institution, and the level of ignorance about how this process works, its history, and how it compares to other constitutional convention processes um, is great. There was during much of the 19th, 20th century, there was an institution called the National Municipal League that provided, I think, similar functions. They had a, except it was much larger and more substantial uh, than the clearinghouse I put together. Um, they looked at all the states with constitutional conventions and issued a bunch of reports and had consultants. And as I mentioned, one of their top consultants was very influential in Alaska and other states in the early, mid-20th century. And I've been trying to um, provide um, some of this missing information. When you take, you know, introductory American government, you don't learn anything about America's state constitutional convention history. The average state has had five of these. Alaska has only had one. Right. Uh, There's been about 235 in American history. And people just don't understand the process. So I, I, um, there's tremendous interest in the uh, the ballot initiative in the Democratic reform community, right? Because that's really the only place to get major reforms done. Uh, but there's been very little interest or expertise in this issue. So I, I saw a gap there that I thought I could help fill. Yeah, I mean, um, you're on record as saying that basically periodic uh, state constitutional conventions are pretty much vital to the continuation of the republic, and yet it's been neglected. I mean, people don't really talk about it. As you said, most people don't understand. We see it on the ballot every 10 years, yet we don't understand what its necessary function is. Exactly. One of the things that I'm most concerned about is the, the on the ballot pamphlet that Alaska puts out with the pro and con positions. I think it's been very weak the last two times in 2012, and uh, 2002, and I'm hoping there'll be a movement to force a better statement on the uh, pro side, because I thought it was so weak. It wasn't a matter of ill intent, which it is in some other states. It was just a matter of somebody really not understanding 
the history and purpose of the institution and just listing a smorgasbord of things that a convention could do without explaining why you'd want a convention rather than the legislature proposing right. um, certain types of amendments. And I, so I very much hope there's somebody listening that might take an interest in making sure that uh, that's going to be the major statement that people see. There's going to be no organized yes campaign with any resources to be a very active no campaign. That document goes to every Alaskan household and it should be, uh, have a reasonable description of, of why Alaska currently has that, what the, what the function of that institution is. It'll be hard to get that in there, but I think, um, I, I think that would be helpful if anybody has, wants to take that task on. Well, and, and I think I think you're right. Again, I, I, not to not a beat a dead horse or anything, but you c- continually going back to that idea that somehow elected officials might do something to reduce their own power. That's not within their. I mean, it's human. In, that's you know human nature. That's not within their interest. And so they're going to be very. We're already seeing it here in the state of Alaska. The this active anti-constitutional convention sentiment. You mentioned the letters. We're seeing people already starting to gear up and gather money. Um, and to some people, that's a that's a that's an indication that maybe this might be a good thing. If it makes some of these politicians nervous, then maybe it's a good thing. Is that uh, is that kind of what you're advocating here for? Well, uh, well yeah. Except there'll be an overwhelming coalition that comes together and will really come out usually the month before if they think it's a chance of, of passing. It, it will include uh, the legislatures usually work behind the scenes. And the most powerful special interest groups often, uh, they'll certainly mobilize their members and they'll put together a very impressive coalition of who's who um, uh, to oppose it. Um, so uh, they will be the insiders. Uh, and they typically are very influential uh, with the public. It usually doesn't come to that point because I. The public is confused. That doesn't understand. Doesn't want to take a risk. Uh, they right. most Americans worship the national constitution. Uh, it's hard to believe, but uh, about a half Americans don't even know they have a state constitution. When they look at the item on the ballot, they'll often be confused and think they're asking oh. about a national <laughs> constitution convention. Right. The level of ignorance is just. It's astounding. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, and again, even somebody who's as plugged in as me, I have to admit that I don't even understand the whole process, although I understand the importance of it. Uh, We're going to continue here with Dr. J.H. Snyder. We're about to jump back uh, onto the radio here with him. Folks, please like and share this video if you'd like more people to understand the importance of a constitutional convention. This is their this is their master class in what's going on here. We're going to get that discussion and continue it with Dr. Snyder here in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense radio All right, we're continuing now with Dr. J.H. Snyder, who is a fellow at the Harvard School of Business and also the editor of the State Constitutional Convention Clearinghouse. He's got a website talking about the Alaska Constitutional Convention. You can go to alaska.concon.info for the clearinghouse information on that. Before we went to break, we uh, were talking a little bit about uh, the differences, some of the differences uh, in a limited convention versus an unlimited convention. 
Uh, what are the risks, Doctor, of the unlimited convention versus something that's on a single purview line? What? What? Give us the the details here. Yeah, I'll just a second. I just wanted to clarify that I have been a fellow at the Kennedy School, the Shorenstein Center there, and uh, the Edmund Safra Center for Ethics uh, at Harvard. And I was a nonprofit fellow when I was uh, younger at the Harvard Business School, but um, I'm not currently a fellow, but I have okay. been. Now, in terms of limited uh, versus unlimited, um, from my perspective, uh, 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 the whole function of a constitutional convention, it has to be unlimited because a limited convention means that the legislature can limit it. And if the legislature limits, can limit it, 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 uh, it defies the whole purpose of a convention. So a convention is limited by the fact that all it can do is propose things. It can't ratify them. So it's limited. The so-called unlimited convention is really limited by the public, just like the legislature can propose anything it wants for a constitutional amendment. And they limit. So we don't call them an unlimited, uh, but they are unlimited. Right. But they're limited in the same way uh, by the voters. Um, and even if the voters pass things, a state constitution can't, uh, pass anything that violates any type of federal law, constitutional, statutory, regulatory. So it has quite limited powers. I mean, the, the Bill of Rights at the national level, the First Amendment, all those are untouchable by a state constitutional convention. And if you look at other legis- other uh, democratic institutions, look, the, the Supreme Court, in theory, it could do anything. It says it's limited by the text or the original purpose or whatever the theory is. But actually, uh, more than a constitutional convention, uh, they could do whatever they want. Uh, 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 President Wilson famously said the Supreme Court was a sitting constitutional convention, and one with unlimited powers because it doesn't have to face a vote. It's a you know an institution for life. Uh, so uh, this is a highly politicized term. It will be raised all the time to raise, uh, raise fears of a runaway, a limited convention that's going to take basic rights, and the average person is going to buy into that argument. Right. And there's not going to be a thoughtful discussion of uh, why it's essential this institution not be limited uh, by the legislature if it's to fulfill its function. Right. Um, and what sense other democratic institutions, including the legislature, has unlimited power in the exact same sense, which is, again, the legislature can propose whatever it wants, but the, mecha- the checks and balance mechanism in both cases is is the public. Right. Dr. J.H. Snyder, our guest. Um, you know, my main concern, again, without getting into the details of any of the policies, uh, because you're here just to basically talk with us about the mechanisms, not the pros or cons of any proposed changes, but my, my fear has always been <clears throat> in in looking at this constitutional convention. I I understand the mechanism of it. I understand the appeal of it. But my fear is okay. Well, maybe my side could get in the things that we want to change, whatever it is, PFD or whatever. But my my kind of my underlying fear is is that if we open it up, we saw what happened in Alaska with the ballot measure number two, where they brought in the rank choice voting and all these other things. All this outside money and influence came in and influenced the people of Alaska to pick this kind of, uh, you know, the, this, uh, uh, you know, uh, new type of voting system and everything else. And they, you know, they used words like Alaska is a cheap date because we've got we can pour a lot of money into it or a little bit of money and affect a lot of people. And so my fear 
and maybe it's un- unreasonable, maybe you can you can justify it for me, is that by opening it up, we may not just change the things that we want to change, but that others could come in and make radical changes to the Constitution as well. How would you answer that and, and allay those fears? Well, the way Constitutional Convention politics works, and if you're familiar with politics, you can spin everything in a certain direction. Everybody is is has the sense that they're going to come out a loser. So if you have you're in the majority, you feel that you're solidly in the majority, you'll say, "Well, why should I have a constitutional convention? I'm already have a majority. If I want something passed, I can get it through the legislature. So I don't need it." And if you're in the minority, you're going to say, "Oh, I'm going to be in the minority, so I'm going to lose out in a convention and the the other folks are going to get it." The liberals uh, uh, say the conservatives are going to win. The conservatives say the liberals, the uh, the um, now all the elites representing and feeding these arguments is going to say uh, the other side is going to win. And each side is going to focus. Almost everybody has some um, spe- part of some special interest, and they're all that all the groups that they will belong to will say that they might lose something that right. they care about, right. um, and so. That gives you um, a little uh, of flavor uh, of that. And then we live in this era where people give lip service to democracy but don't really believe it. Americans have such contempt increasingly for their fellow Americans. uh, Americans, whether they're in the majority or minority, increasingly feel that they're in um, the minority. And it's really uh, Pew Research has done polls on this. It's Mm -hmm. quite... Surprising. It's just like people often feel uh, that crime rates are much different than they are. We're not, I'm not talking about recently. I'm talking about over a period of right. four or five decades. Because you know, if it bleeds, it leaves uh, in the press. That's what gets interest. And so people have a distorted sense um, of 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 crime because media is interested in anecdotes, not deep trends and whatnot. Sometimes they correspond. To deep trends. Anyway, there's a lot of that here. Almost everybody is told they're going to be a loser, and that's a, a if they have a, a convention. The whole notion of how they might be a winner, uh, which is to pass some things uh, that can't otherwise get through the legislature, uh, that's going to be uh, ignored. Um, so yes, everything is risk and trade-offs, and absolutely everything. And uh, what I am trying to do is to highlight um, the function of the institution, which is to solve a very particular type of problem. Uh, and, uh, but many people are going to focus, oh, well, I right. can lose something. Right. Well, you can lose something <clears throat> in the legislature, too. Right. And the legislature uh, you know, has basically similar powers. But it's a, it's a clever, and it's been a very effective framing to attack the constitutional convention. We're down to the last uh, 90 seconds here or so. So, uh, Dr. Snyder, what are you, what's your exhortation to the listeners? What should they be doing? Should they be educating themselves? Should they be voting in favor? What is, what is your thoughts here? Well, I, I'm asking them to, uh, to educate themselves and uh, not rely on their normal sources from either party because the – the insiders are just going to be against it. And I would encourage, if anybody uh, can help um, uh, uh, get the lieutenant governor, secretary of state, to improve the pamphlet that has been, will be sent out to all Alaskans uh, uh, on the pro and negative reasons for holding a convention, that needs to be improved. There needs to be some 
political pressure to have a reasonable yes statement. And uh, it, I think it's been very poor in 2012 and 2002. It was last on the ballot. And that's well, something everybody's going to see. Yeah. That would be a valuable uh, activity if anybody is well, willing to engage. Maybe we can talk somebody into getting you to write the uh, the pro side of that. Dr. J.H. Schneider, our guest, uh, again, author, alaska.concon.info. Doctor, thank you for coming on board with us this morning and explaining this to us. Hold the line for just one second, Doctor. We're going to be back with more Hour 2 Dead Ahead, The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. All right, Doctor, I wanted to give you uh, – <clears throat> we're in the commercial break here at the top of the hour. So I wanted to give you one final bite at the apple, uh, just you know, your final thoughts here where we're not constrained by the clock um, on uh, on what we could do. I mean, I would love to have you write the pro side if we could find somebody to uh, – if we could find whoever's uh, in charge of that in the lieutenant governor's office to allow that to happen. It would be good to have somebody uh, with your background be able to write something like that. Uh, but I wanted to give you the last couple minutes here to uh, just give us your final thoughts. Um, I have a website, the Alaska State Constitutional Convention Clearinghouse. I try to put everything that's published um, a, on there, pro and con. So I would encourage people who want to stay up on, on what the various media and uh, groups have been saying uh, about the convention to look at that. Most of the material won't come up until the fall and probably the month before when there tends to be the election, when it's a blizzard of material. And I will also put up in the fall a, a frequently asked question sections to deal with many of the issues we've touched on uh, during the conversation today. So I would encourage you, especially in the fall, to look at that website um, and to be educated on the arguments um, pro and con. Is there been a state that's done this recently, uh, doctor? I mean, uh, it's every 10 years, I'm assuming with the census. So what was that? I mean, has there been states that in the last cycle that did this and came away as, you know, with a positive, you know, example of what's going on? Well, we're in the greatest drought of state constitution conventions in American history. Um, there's never been anything like it. I wrote an article in the journal of American political thought explaining why I think that has happened. Uh, the last two of note, which I think were quite successful, were Rhode Island and New Hampshire in the 1980s. Uh, New Hampshire uh, has had, depending upon how you define a constitution convention, 16 or 17 um, since the American founding. In fact, um, the only way to change New Hampshire's constitution uh, until 1964 was through a constitutional convention. It was their general purpose mechanism for change. And I don't see people denouncing. They just think of it as just a way to conduct government. It's not this giant ordeal that it's made out to be. And the funny thing is they have 400 members of their legislature. Their constitutional convention body is the same. It's it's, it's quite a, <laughs> a, a big thing. So anyway, um, I, I, I guess a, a, there's been a lot of uh, successful and some not so successful constitution conventions. I will say that all of the most recent ones, they claim they're a model constitution, like Montana in the last few weeks has had this big uh, celebration of their 60th uh, or their, uh, yeah, their 50th anniversary uh, since their 1972 constitution convention. I think that's a better constitution than Alaska. If Alaska were to have another constitution convention, I'd look to Montana's. Uh, constitution, which has a lot. They also use the National Municipal League's model constitution 
as a reference point. But I, I think, uh, and they've had all sorts of celebrations um, about that. You can look it up in the media, how proud they are of all the things they've done. Alaska sort of talks the same way about its 1950s Constitutional Convention. But I think right. I would point to that one uh, and all the celebrations about it. Um, as and they still have a bunch of people that are alive. Alaska only has one person left right. from its original Constitutional right. Convention. So I, well, I point to that one. <laughs> I, I think it's good to be able to have examples of how it works out and when it works out well. Dr. J.H. Snyder, thank you for coming on board this morning and sharing your uh, insight with us. We appreciate uh, getting a little bit of a peek behind the scenes. Thank you so much. Yeah, okay. Uh, good luck. And don't forget that website for further information. Yep, I've already put it up a couple times, alaska.concon.info. It's up on the screen as well, folks, for those of you who are looking at it. Thank you, doctor. Appreciate it. Um, Dr. J.H. Snyder, uh, our guest here on the program this morning, uh, talking about the Constitutional Convention. Um, DeShana said, in other words, prepare for serious battle. Is that what everyone is hearing? Yeah, I mean, I think we're already hearing it. I mean, this is what Mike Schauer was talking about uh, yesterday when he said, just look at the people who are opposed to it and use that as a measuring stick as to whether or not you should support it. Um, I've, I've been hesitant. I've been hesitant to come out, uh, about this and, uh, and jump up and down and say that I'm uh, for it because of it, but I'm swayed. Uh, I, I am swayed. I, I, I think that this is really the only chance of fixing what is fundamentally flawed right now in the state government. And that is with a constitutional convention. Uh, I think we're going to have to, I think we're going to have to take that chance. Uh, and, uh, we do need to educate. We do need to educate people a lot more than, uh, than we have here in the, uh, uh, in the past. So looking forward to it. We'll have to see, uh, we'll have to see what comes out of this, but I'm, I mean, my, I still have my reservations, but I am, I'm ready to, uh, I'm ready to take that chance personally. I'm ready to take that chance. So uh, I guess we'll I guess we'll see where it goes from here. Um, all right, what else have we got going on here? Anything else? Just check in the email. Uh, okay, email's clear. Uh, looking at the comments in the chat room. Um, uh, just sent an email tool that reached twenty thousand Alaskans. Eight hundred supported the PFD and took three minutes to support the PFD with legislators. How old is Vic Fisher? Boy, he's got to be in his 90s. Um, let's see. Um, hey, Robbie says, me too. The risks of not are too great. Mob, Robbie is now in favor of a constitutional convention. Uh, if we don't do it now, says Terry, in 10 years, we won't have Alaska. Uh, and I really think that that's, that's, that's part of it. This was something that was baked in to all these different things for the specific reason that um, for the specific reason that uh, you they knew that legislators were going to glom that you know politicians would glom power under themselves and this is the way to strip that so definitely an interesting uh, definitely an interesting take all right we're going to uh, jump into this here in just a hot second we got Kathy Hen- Kathy Hensley uh, is going to be joining us and we'll be talking with her here in just a moment don't go anywhere the Michael Duke show common sense liberty based. Free thinking radio. Let's do this thing. Whoa. 
buddy, put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Across the globe, on the interwebs at MichaelDukesShow.com, and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator, it is The Michael Dukes Show, and we are continuing now with state business, just finishing up here a minute ago with Dr. J.H. Snyder talking about the Constitutional Convention and why it is a necessary feature and why we should not have the fear of it that many people, including myself, have had about opening things up. That's an interesting conversation. You can go back and catch on the podcast uh, later on this morning after it gets uploaded. You can find the podcast on CastBox, Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and, of course, Spotify. So uh, go check it out and uh, do it. Hour two, though, now, and so let's change gears. We're going to pull back down into the South Central area and talk about what's going on The municipal election in the city of Anchorage, the municipality of Anchorage, is coming up in less than 30 days. Uh, It's weird, I know. It always confused me when I first moved down to the South Central area that Anchorage holds their municipal elections in the spring. Kind of throws people for a loop, but uh, it's a good opportunity. And for those of you who are listening in other areas, Fairbanks, Homer, etc., and saying, why do I care about what goes on in Anchorage? Well, because as goes Anchorage, so goes the rest of the state. I mean, in a lot of ways. And we've seen that in things that have happened in the assemblies and the community councils and the city councils and things like that. So we need to be paying close attention to us. Joining us this morning to discuss is Kathy Hensley. She's a lifelong Alaskan married to an Air National Guard pilot. Uh, She's a realtor, uh, runs several small businesses. She's got extensive community involvement Uh, and she is here today to talk with us about her candidacy for the Municipal Assembly in Anchorage in District 4, and she joins us right now. Good morning, Kathy. Thanks for coming on board. Good morning, Michael. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I appreciate appreciate you doing that. So um, I think folks need to know a little bit more about Kathy Hensley, you know, know, who you are, where you are, where you come from, your background, and everything else. But I always like to start off with one question, and that is um, exactly when did you lose your mind? Uh, you know, I mean, what, what was the, you know, was this a, was this one of those aha moments where it just, it just suddenly came on you or was it a, you know, one straw after another and something finally broke the camel's back and and you said, I'm mad as hell and not going to take it anymore. As you shouted out the window, what, 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 what was it that brought you to this point? It sounds like you were listening to what was happening with me when oh. you described that. <laughs> uh, you know, I've always been, uh, a fan of the Constitution of the United States. I mean, that's going really far back. So it's something I've always paid attention to is our political system in um, Alaska. And, yeah, there's been times when I've been really frustrated, and there's been times when I've thought, this is going better, you know, this is going well. Well, in the last couple of years, uh, it's been very aggravating. 
And uh, I am not the kind of person to just kind of go on a slow burn. I don't like to be um, angry and frustrated. And so I started attending assembly meetings. I was just really um, very surprised at the way this assembly was uh, making decisions completely, excuse me, opposite of um, what I felt like was good for Anchorage. And um, so I started going to assembly meetings. And again, I was just pretty dumbfounded. I'd never seen uh, a business or any group of people run that way. Right. Um, it was uh, several years ago that I started attending assembly meetings. And, uh, and I, just, I just knew that things had to change. It, so I was pretty surprised that this um, liberal body had taken over in the biggest city in Alaska, which I consider a pretty conservative state. We've always leaned conservative. And so to be completely run by this body of people that didn't represent us in any way, I just couldn't take anymore. So I um, started talking to friends and family, and uh, my family actually said, yeah, we knew you were going to run, and uh, I think you're the last one to know. So, yeah. <laughs> well, that's so good. I jumped in. Yeah. All right. Well, that's good. Well, let's uh, let's find out a little bit more about Kathy Hensley. So, give us some of your background here. Uh, I mean, I kind of gave the thumbnail, but uh, you know, tell us a little bit about you and and where you come from and what you bring to the table here. Okay. Well, I am a lifelong Alaskan. I've been here my whole life. My father was a state trooper, and my mother was a business owner. Um, we lived in a cabin on a dirt road up on Rabbit Creek Road, (laughs) believe it or not, (laughs) uh, back in the olden days, as my kids like to say, uh, you know, we raised a family and, uh, I have always been an entrepreneur. Um, I think our, our system of economy in America is again, part of the freedoms that we enjoy. And I have really, um, been involved in that, uh, for most of my adult life, uh, one of the things that uh, I got involved in early on is um, I helped to write and formulate um, the first charter school in Anchorage, which is now the Family Partnership Charter School, um, because I believe in uh, educational choice. And we actually had a pretty good education system back then, but it didn't meet the needs of my family. And so we worked on that, got that passed. That's been a really wonderful thing for Anchorage. My Actually, my um, eight-year-old grandson is enrolled in that school right now, <laughs> uh, which is pretty cool. And then later on, um, through some really, uh, you know, circumstances of life, um, I became involved in an organization called Priceless Alaska, which is an organization that is faith-based, nonprofit, and works with women who have been rescued from sex trafficking in Alaska After volunteering with them for a while, I became the transitional housing coordinator and director and also the program director for that organization. I worked with the FBI at APD um, Joint Task Force um, to uh, uh, work on the the issue and crime of sex traffic in Alaska. And in that uh, role, uh, I was... um, fortunate enough to work with a lot of really wonderful people in Alaska that are actually trying to make changes. Um, And uh, a big part of that was the homeless issue. We worked with a lot of homeless issues and and all the social service programs. And, um, you know, coming from a conservative perspective, my goal and the goal of that organization was to end those issues and to see the churning through of people, human beings in Alaska that are stuck in this 
um, situation and and really no, uh, I shouldn't say no, little practical help from um, our state and local government. And pretty much we know that's what happens when government takes over something. It's it's inefficient, sure. it's expensive, and it's not personal. And uh, so those are some of the experiences that I've had in life that helped me to um, have a different perspective uh, for the assembly. Well, and that brings us uh, to the issues, and I think that's a good segue since you just were talking about homelessness. Let's continue mm-hmm. on that. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, we've got a homeless problem uh, here, and since Anchorage is the hub for many mm-hmm. of the communities around the state, it seems like uh, we end up with a lot of the problems being imported here, and, and uh, you know, we're not doing enough to, as you said, fix the problem. Uh, government got involved, and, and as I said to uh, as I said to Stephanie Taylor earlier this week, I believe part of the problem is now we've created a homelessness industry where there are businesses and organizations that are, you know, profiting off this, and so they they may say that they want to fix it, but it may not be the best thing for their bottom line. Um, uh, my argument for homelessness, because I don't really have a solution for it, unfortunately, mm-hmm. uh, is to find a city or an area that has dealt with it in a way that's positive and emulate that. Instead, we seem to be emulating what's happened in Seattle and Portland, and that's a that's a real problem right now. So, what's your you know what what should we be doing? Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. There are places that have um, had success. But we continue to go back to the places that big government agencies have done these studies in and said, this is what we should do. But as rational people, we look at the results. And you're exactly right. The results in Seattle and Portland, San Francisco, they're terrible. That is not the results that we want. So why are we following the same programs that they're that they're um, wanting us to follow? And, you know, one thing, Michael, that I think is just such common sense, We've been doing this for years this way. We've thrown a ton of money at it, and our homeless population has exploded. Well, anyone can look at that formula and say, that's not what we want to do. Why are we continuing to do that? So every time I'm in any kind of forum with my opponent, her solution is always, well, we can find this pot of money, and we can pull from this pot of money. If money was our solution, we would not have a homeless person on the street. So we know that's not working. Now, we can take a look at some things in Anchorage that have been positive. The Downtown Hope Center has been running in Anchorage. It's a faith-based organization. They make a lot of positive, um, they have a lot of positive influence in this particular area. They take no public money. And they have been, the Assembly has fought against this um, organization in ways that you would not believe that they, you know, here's this downtown Hope Center who's actually making a difference uh, in lives of, you know, people that we care about. And they bring a lawsuit against them because they won't let a violent transgender man into their women's sleeping section. And so that the leadership of that organization had to stop doing what they were doing, spend time and money to fight the assembly when the assembly should be supporting them and, and looking at what they're doing and really emulating them. Right. Lots of lots of uh, frustrating things going on there that can be changed. Right. Well, absolutely. And we've seen this drift. I mean, I moved down to the South Central area here about eight years ago. And, um, and even I, from that time that I got here till today, we've seen this drift in government policies and in the makeup of the assembly and everything else to where now we started off fairly, you know, in the middle, um, 
kind of uh, uh, equally balanced. And now we're on the full-blown progressive speed train. You know, this is like the bullet train from Tokyo to Osaka uh, towards, uh, you know, towards these policies that they just absolutely, like you said, taking an organization that is doing a good job, having success, and then entangling them in all this lawsuits and everything else over something like that. Um, it just seems like, you know, we've kind of lost our collective minds. Yes. And then to add insult to injury, the person who is supposed to be the expert on the assembly, very, very uh, left uh, woman, her name is Meg Zolotel, who's who I'm running against, they uh, hire her to be the interim director of the Coalition to End Homelessness and pay her I've heard between one hundred and fifty and two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Who's paying that? We're paying that. Who is who is uh, supposed to be over that? The assembly that she sits on. It's you know it's very fishy. <laughs> yeah, no conflict of interest there, right? I mean, that's, no. that's, that's no no big change there. Well, homelessness is a big issue. I mean, we just saw the article the other day. Uh, talking about you know the Sullivan Arena, two hundred thousand dollars a day, and now we're finding out that FEMA may not be reimbursing the assembly uh, and the government. The citizens of the of Anchorage, uh, they've spent upwards of eighty million dollars, and they may be on the hook for fifty fifty five million of that when it's all said and done. I mean, on top of everything else they're already paying for, I mean, it's uh, there's a lot there's a lot of issues there, and the money is it's just going to get worse. Yes. The mismanagement of funds is absolutely astounding. Unless you talk to them individually, then you see they really have no concept of a budget. They have no concept that the money is limited and that when they spend the money this way, that it has consequences. The consequences to taxpayers, which is actually what you just said, you know, our taxes are going to be going up again. Our property taxes went up on an average of 13% this year already and now we're going to have you know they're they're pushing these bonds through again and then and then um we're going to be on the the hook for this FEMA money which was mismanaged and spent the reason that we're on the hook for it is because they spent it wrong they didn't do what they were supposed to do with the money and people in Anchorage feel that that money was coming to Anchorage at a time when small, they shut down small businesses, so small businesses are struggling. You know, the government said that people didn't have to pay their rent, and so land own, landlords are struggling. There's so many struggling families here, and they take that money and they say, oh, we've got this special interest that we like, right. and so we're going to take that money that's supposed to help the residents of Anchorage. We're going to spend it the way we want. And then we're going to be penalized, but who's going to pay for it? The residents of Anchorage. Right, right. And they don't care. Well, that's the politician's disease, Kathy, that we know yeah. better than you how to spend your money. I mean, somehow, exactly. some some way, somehow, once we became elected officials, we received some kind of omniscient uh, touch from God or something to be able to understand how you should run your life and spend your money and raise your children and everything else. That is the politician's disease. Um, we're going to uh, uh, we're going to continue here in just a moment. Kathy Hensley is our guest, uh, assembly uh, candidate for the Anchorage Municipal Assembly for District Four. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll have more discussions with her, and uh, we'll see where she just mentioned the bond issue. So I think that we should uh, I think we should kind of dive into the bond issues as well as some of the other issues that she has outlaid on her website at hensleyforassembly.com, including 
opening it up, uh, the you know opening up the businesses in the community, public safety, small business. We'll talk with Kathy Hensley about those and more when we return. It is the Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Back with more right after this. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. All right, we are in the break right now. Um, Kathy Hensley is our guest, and we're talking with her uh, about all kinds of stuff. Let's. Uh, we like to take uh, Kathy. We like to kind of change subjects during the commercial break, so we don't repeat ourselves too much uh, for the podcast. So let's talk about uh, briefly here just this this leftward swing on the assembly and some of the things that you find the most egregious, uh, uh, I guess, uh, violations or sins that the, that this that this assembly has perpetrated on the on the citizens of the city of Anchorage. Uh, here in the last, uh, you know, two or three years, you know, what are the things that have really stuck out uh, for you? Yeah, there's been several. Um, you know, one that has obviously hit the public very strongly is the mandates that they continually are trying to push through. Um, you know, before Mayor Bronson came in, they had free reign and could do whatever they wanted. And so, you know, the mask mandates for uh, for inside, outside, you know, in businesses. And that was just, it was such an overreach. And then, of course, the way they arbitrarily decided which businesses were essential and with which businesses they wanted to shut down. And it was so difficult for our business owners. And I live in Midtown. Uh, we have a lot of small businesses in this district mm-hmm. and uh, families, and it was, you know, it was very difficult. And they wouldn't listen. They they would not hear the the suffering that they were causing. They just turned a blind eye to what was happening because they wanted to do what they wanted to do. And um, so those things are th- some of the things that uh, the people in my district talk about the most. Another thing that has been really a... Um, just changed our quality of life is crime in Anchorage. Property crime and violent crime in Anchorage. You know, we've always had terrible statistics in Alaska. Uh, But right now in Anchorage, it's just like the homeless problem. You don't need to do any research to see if our crime has gone up in Anchorage. Uh, It's it's well known. You do not take your family out on uh, a lot of the trails. Um, You don't go run on trails. You don't walk your baby um, to a park. You know, the, the crime that we're experiencing here is overwhelming. A, a, a very sad thing that just happened is in, in our library, where the assembly meets, a young woman was stabbed in the back and is now paralyzed. The media is hardly talking about it at all. And that was uh, a man who had been um, charged with brutal crimes and let out uh because he was um, mentally unhealthy to stand trial. That is so against how we run our society to protect everybody except for our 
our residents who are living and working and raising families, everybody in this city has precedence over the person that gets up in the morning, takes their children to school, and goes to work. And it's it really is uh, lowering our quality of life to a point where people just don't want to take it anymore. Yeah. Well, it's definitely frustrating. I mean, that story alone, the fact that he had been in custody just mere days before uh, before he stabbed this woman for attacking other people and for fighting back against uh uh, you know, fighting police and everything else, and then the fact that they just let him out uh, because he was mentally incompetent. And I mean, <laughs> and then he goes on to do this. It's it's it is it's heartbreaking. It's terrifying and it's heartbreaking. Uh, yeah. One quick question: What are your thoughts on the fact that Meg Zalatel did not get recalled, and how is that shaping your campaign? I got about a minute here before we rejoin. Okay. Yes. Uh, so the the I understand why the recall for Meg happened. Um, the way that it was worded on the ballot was really unfortunate, uh, but that's the system that we have, and we have to work within that. A recall has never worked in Alaska. Um, I think we had one tribal leader that was recalled at one point. Um, other than that, there's never been a time when that has worked. I think that uh, a lot of people didn't know about the recall, didn't care about the recall. It was a lot of people were very politically exhausted after what's been going on. Right. So I don't really think it's going to affect this race when you have a choice, All right. such we, a clear choice. Yeah. Um, I think people are going to make the right choice, which is to vote for me. There you go. All right. We'll hold the line. We're going to jump back into it. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Base, Free Thinking Radio. Kathleen Hensley's our guest. Give us a, give us a share and a like. Okay, we're back now, continuing, uh, discussing things with Kathy Hensley. Hensley for Assembly, that's H-E-N-S-L-E-E for Assembly.com. She joins us. Um, before we went to break, we were talking a bit about some of her issues. Uh, we'd started off with homelessness, and she'd mentioned bonds, and so I think I need to bring this back into... Kathy, this is one of my pet peeves. I'll be honest with you. Uh, when I served on the Borough Assembly in Fairbanks, uh, it was one of the things that I was most vociferous about. I was not a fan uh, because, I mean, first of all, I think that, you know, deferred maintenance, there's a special place in hell for the guy who thought that thing up. Uh, but yet we see it time and time again where they've used deferred maintenance. They take those monies, they use it on something else instead of maintaining what they need. And then they bond for it later mm-hmm. on uh, for a 20-year bond to fix something that they should have been working on the whole time. Here we are, $56 million in uh, bonds for the, uh, for, the, uh, for the city, or 46 rather, and then $111 million in bonds for the uh, for the school district. Now, the city's at least kind enough to break it up into various bonds for each different project, but the school, they just lump it all together. And $111 million, including a brand new school, at a time when they've got an 8% decrease in enrollment in the in the Anchorage School District. I just, I don't understand this. Well, you're, you and me both. It, it's, it, it shows you how little they understand economics and how they believe government is the solution to everything. And so we should just turn our money over to them so that they can run things better than we do. They, right. they really do think that. Yeah. Uh, it, it is, it's just appalling how this continues to happen. 
Um, I, I too think the way that we do bonds uh, doesn't make sense for uh, for our city. Um, economically, it's a disaster. Uh, but the bottom line for me is Anchorage spends too much money. We continue to spend more and more money. Our our city budget has grown 20% in the last several years, 20%, and our residents have decreased by 15,000 people. But And then I can't even start talking about the school the school board and the school bonds and the Anchorage school district they you know they just asked for 900 million dollars <laughs> for a school system that's failing miserably and right. losing students yeah it's so out of this out of the it just is it just blows your mind right it is mind-boggling I mean the it fact is. that they continue to do that I mean again yes. going back to just the just the whole new school thing 30 million dollars for a new school. They'll be into it for almost $34 because they already had bonded nearly $4 million for the planning and design and everything. And uh, they're just going to be like, here it is. We need a new school. But you have 8% less students, and it looks like it's probably going to continue to drop. That's okay. We still need it. It's for the children after all. Um, and that's the continued argument. I mean, I just – I and, and, and they've already said that, that the school district is going to be doing this on a biennial basis. So – Every two years, you're going to see another $100 million bond dropped in your lap. I mean, that that just can't continue. No, it can't continue. You know, Michael, it reminds me of talking to someone's 24-year-old son living in their basement about them wanting to go on vacation and buy a new car. It, It. it, you just look at that person and you think you have no idea of what the reality of life is. And it, it's really, uh, it, it's just outrageous. Yeah. Um, we need to stop spending so much money. Now, obviously, when I say that, I'm not saying we don't work on infrastructure and we don't do the things that the city, the basic things that the city should be doing. But we have gotten so far away from the basic things that this city should be doing. We need to pull back. We need to reprioritize. And that's one of the things that we've really noticed about this assembly. Their priorities are nothing like our priorities. Um, And you see that in the way they spend money. And then they spend money frivolously. And then they actually bring some things forward, you know, maintenance. Well, these things actually do need to be done. But we don't have the money to do them because you have spent all our money on these frivolous things that we're not interested in. And their solution is always find more money. Right. If you talk to them, they will say, well, we Anchorage needs to find more money. No, we don't. Right. We don't need to well, find more money. It's a microcosm of what's going on in the legislature. Do we have a revenue problem or do we have a spending problem? Exactly. And, and I think, you know, nobody is willing to acknowledge that we are like teenagers with a credit card. And, you know, yes. we just we just keep going. Um, right. let, let's go back to the issues. Uh, you talked about it briefly uh, about businesses that were affected by the lockdowns and everything else. You just talked about that mm-hmm. during the break. But, I mean, opening up is one of your issues. You say open up. Yeah. You're a firm believer yeah. in individual rights. You believe that, you know, mm-hmm. this has been a difficult couple of years. What are your thoughts on opening up and staying open in the midst of, uh, you know, the COVID stuff and everything else? Right. I believe in people. I think people make the best decisions for their own lives. Uh, I think that the entrepreneurial spirit is something that needs to be encouraged and developed. And we can have a thriving economy. We, you know, the people in Alaska, we are individualists, 
and we like to make things work the way we want them to work. And so that just lends a, tan- lend, lends a hand to opening businesses. Um, Anchorage, the way we were po- are positioned in the world, the resources that we have access to, um, the people that live here, we should be uh, an economic powerhouse in the United States of America. And we're not. And we're not because of bad policies. We're not because the government is on our backs and regulating every single thing we do and slowing us down. The permitting process is out of control. We can't have development, which we need desperately. And it's the government that is putting a lid on all of these things. We need to get the government off our back, as I said, and open up for business. Industries would come here. People would come here. Um, We need to be attractive to people opening businesses and knowing that they can succeed here. No, I, I agree. And, and of course we've seen the effect, I mean, in Anchorage versus in other communities where they uh, not only remained open, but uh, they announced publicly that they were open for business. I mean, I live in Wasilla and I always found it interesting that on the weekends, the drive, especially on a Friday night, going back home was horrible because you there was a and I talked to restaurant owners in Wasilla and they're like, yeah, we're full every Friday. Yeah. We're full because people were driving from Anchorage to go uh, solicit and go patronize businesses out in the valley because all the places in town were shut down and 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 it was a, it was a major blow to the economy in Anchorage. Yes. Yes, it was. I mean, my husband and I did the same thing. You just had to get out of Anchorage so you could breathe for a minute. And, uh, you know, remember what real life is like. And I don't want to ever go through that again. That, that is not something I ever want to experience again. I, I think that was one of the things that, that made me the most incredulous about this assembly, that they would close people's businesses down without any understanding of what that meant to their families. Yeah. It, it was, it's outrageous. Well, um, you do mention on your website public safety, and it says it's time we support our law enforcement and allow them to do their job. If Anchorage continues to ignore the needs of our police department, we'll be on track uh, with cities like Seattle and Portland. What do you mean by that? What uh, you know? What is not being done, and what should be being done with our law enforcement uh, or with the law enforcement down in the uh, in the municipality there? Yeah, I see. I think this is a leadership problem. The leadership that we have been living under with this assembly has not cared about the citizens of Anchorage and their public safety. It's always been about the public safety of the criminals. And we need to shift that thinking. We need to support our police department and our prosecutors, and we need to uh, enforce the laws that are on the books. And if we turn that around, everything in Anchorage would get better very quickly. I know the police are frustrated with their hands being tied because they're not supported. Um, and when you're not doing a job where you're not supported and you're not looked at as the good guy, you're not looked at as someone that we care about and that we that is a priority to us, um, we can just see the results in Anchorage and we need to change it and we need to change it quickly. Are you in favor of the changes? I know some of the changes that are coming up include body cams and some of the other things. Is that is that part of the solution? Is there other things that need to be done? What what are your thoughts? You know, the body cam issue is it's it's an interesting issue. Uh, 
I my thoughts are we need to support what the police what is best for the police. Is that where they want money spent? Is that protection for them also? Um, you know, I think that uh, a big part of that body cam push is looking at our police as um, you know as suspect, and I'm not interested in projecting that. Um, I I trust our police. You know, I think that one or two bad apples can't be tolerated, but they can't also paint a picture of a police force that's doing a really good job for us. Right. Well, it's the uh, whole thing of honesty is the best policy. And as we've seen across the country, there's been any, many instances in large towns and in small of uh, of there are bad apples, and unfortunately, they don't weed them out of the barrel. And, and you know, mm-hmm. you always hear that there's a few bad apples in every barrel. They never finish that, basically saying that if you don't take the bad apples out, they'll spoil the whole barrel. And so exactly. I, I think a little transparency and a little, uh, you know, again, that that little Jiminy Cricket on your shoulder knowing that what's going down will keep honest people honest and keep those who are not honest at least a little bit more on the straight and narrow. I don't personally have a problem with it. What are some of the other issues you think that are facing our public safety there in Anchorage that uh, that need to be addressed? Well, I think one of the big issues is separating the idea of homelessness from crime. A, a segment of this homeless population are criminals, and they need to be dealt with as criminals. We can't look at them and say, oh, they're homeless, so they, they're not under the law. So they get We're a pass, all under right? The law. They get a pass. And they should not get a pass. Yeah. And it, you know, so to say this segment of homeless or this segment of our population is going to be treated, then another sec- segment of our population isn't working for us. Once we get a handle on that, that's going to that's going to take care of a, of a chunk of that population right away. And it's also going to make it more clear who's dealing with mental illness, who is dealing with actual uh, economic issues, which is a small portion Who's dealing with drug and alcohol issues, and and who are these, you know, how do we um, get in there and treat these people as individuals? When the criminal element is in there so thick and and intertwined so much, we really need to be able to look at that and say, we can't just ignore that. We all acknowledge that a huge component of the homelessness issue and everything surrounding it is mental health, and yet we have no solution for that. Um, in this state or in many other states, uh, you know, that, that essentially since they shut down a lot of the mental health institutions and asylums and things in the 80s, we've seen this explosion of homelessness because instead of finding other solutions, they just basically put everybody out on the street and there you go. Um, you know, and that's a, that's a big part of our problem. We're offering solutions to some of these people, but they're just not in a state mentally where they either want or willing to, or can accept it. And we've got to find some way to fix that. Right. That's absolutely right. And it's, it's heartbreaking for people who have loved ones on the street, uh, who cannot get any help, who really you know, would advocate for people that um, are struggling because it's an illness and right. uh, it can be helped. And there are things that we can do. And to just say, well, they, you know, they have a right to be homeless and they have a right to, you know, walk around on the streets talking to themselves and accosting people. This is not, that's not a good way to live. It's not the way we want people to be surviving in Anchorage, Alaska. 
Um, Kathy Hensley is our guest. Uh, I want to give you a chance to uh, finish up here, Kathy, but I just realized I'm running late for the break. So I'm going to put you back on hold, and we're going to come back to you here in just a hot minute, and we'll give you a chance to summate and finish up and give your elevator pitch. So get your notes out. Uh, you're going to give us our, your, your elevator pitch for uh, why people should vote for Kathy Hensley. We're going to continue in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show continues. It is a uh, great day. Another day on the right side of the grass. That's all we could say. We'll continue with Kathy Hensley and finish things up here in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Regularly heard on American radio. All right, we're in the break right now with Kathy Hensley. Um, and let me go to the chat room, see if there's any questions that I can ask from the chat room. Um, let's see, people talking about the homelessness and living in Fairbanks. I could never understand. I mean, having lived in Fairbanks for 45 years, I could never understand people being homeless in Fairbanks because that, I mean, that... That just sounds like a hard. I'd rather get a job. You know what I mean? Amen, brother. Yeah. Uh, th- that just that sounds like a, a hard thing. But again, it, you know, sometimes it's circumstance. Sometimes, like I said, it's mental health or illness. Mm-hmm. It's not like they necessarily choose to do that. But at some point, it becomes a choice when you don't want to take the help that's offered to you. That's uh, that's part of the problem. Um, trying to address crime without reforming our pathetic justice system is just mm. peeing into the wind. And yeah. I agree with part of that. I mean, that's what the whole, the whole, you know, uh, impetus behind SB 91 was, right? They wanted to yeah. try and fix it, found out that it didn't work. Then they had to fight to get it back. And yet we still have the same crime problem that we're having today. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. When you, when you have law enforcement, and you have uh, prosecutors, and then you get in front of these judges, and exactly what happened. I mean, I, I hate to c- keep coming back to it, but that that man who was just let off. Yeah. That that is that is so harmful to the, our society, and we do need to address that. And that is a that's one of those issues that feels a little um, uh, just impossible to uh, address because of the way our judges are appointed and. We definitely need to uh, work on that. We can see the effect right. it's having. Judicial reform, which again is a state Correct. issue, not an, a municipality issue. But right. I mean, we're all affected by it. And it's not, it, look, it's, I understand it's, it's, it's almost necessary to go back to this last attack at the library because it's so heinous. It's so, I mean, yeah. right there, they had him in their hands. They let him go. He can't stand trial. Well, wait, he's dangerous. He's been accused of all these things. And yet you just drop him back out on the street uh, I mean, that makes no sense whatsoever. I, I, you know, I don't, I don't even know what to say to that. It is, it's flabbergasting. It is exactly. And you think about, you know, the poor woman, her four children, her family that was stabbed, her life has completely changed. You know, the woman that he attacked that he was originally arrested for right before then. What about her? There's no justice for her either. So right. her rights are, are less important that family's rights are less important than that man. It, yeah. It's it's not okay. Uh, Chuck says, bonds are the result of bad decisions made by those in charge, yet people sign on to those bonds and accept the costs. It's like we're wearing blindfolds. 
And uh, I mean, I wouldn't, I couldn't disagree with that. I, I think that that's a hundred percent true. And yet, we continue to hear the stories of, oh, don't worry, do the bonds will be reimbursed, especially like the school bonds will be reimbursed. You know, seventy, eighty, ninety percent until we're not, of course. Uh, exactly. And then, and then, what do you do? And who's paying for those reimbursements? Yeah, it, it well, all comes out of our pocket. Exactly. And the the way they uh, push it and you know, they make it sound so nice. Uh, but if you if you logically look at budgeting and economics, it makes no sense. Yeah. No, it uh, it's definitely frustrating to watch. And uh, and I I definitely like to see a change in the assembly. Um, it, you know, you've got we've got a chance here. There's five people up for uh, for election. Um, are you guys working kind of, you know, together to try and create a block where we can bring some balance back? We are, and it's a good slate of candidates. We've been working well together. Uh, of course, we're in our individual districts, so we've got our own campaigns. But, you know, think about it, Michael. If we change these five seats in April, uh, we will have an immediate majority. That has not happened in a long time. The things that we could tackle and the things that we can work with, with Mayor Bronson, we could make some actual changes in Anchorage that will affect our families and our businesses right away. Yeah, no, I I agree. I think it would be a big change. I'm hoping that there's enough, you know, we saw Mayor Bronson get elected, and I know that there's mm-hmm. been a lot of uh, criticism of Save Anchorage and some of the groups of people who are just frustrated. But I am amazed at the number of people who are in some of these groups who come from a diverse background who have basically said enough is enough. I mean, politically, left, right, and center have all said, you know, that they're here to try and save it. And it's been, like I said, it's been kind of castigated, but it is, uh, it's a strong group. And there may be enough of a groundswell to make some of those changes. I agree with you. And I, I talk to those people all the time. I talk to people who say, I've never paid attention before. I, um, I'm talking to people all the time who say, I've always voted for Democrats. Um, I, I'm talking to a lot of people that are recognizing that what we are doing is not working and we need a change. Right. And so I'm very hopeful. I think that we're going to, uh, that we have a good chance of turning over these five seats. And I'm just very excited about what we're going to be able to accomplish in Anchorage. Uh, Kathy Hensley is our guest uh, candidate for Anchorage Assembly uh, District 4. Folks, please like and share this video. Like and follow the show page as well. Uh, if you would also, uh, if you're on YouTube, make sure you hit the subscribe button and ring the bell. We're going to uh, jump back into it here. One final segment with Kathy Hensley, The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. All right, we're back, uh, finishing things up. Uh, kind of ran out of time in the last segment there. Uh, I always like to give the candidates a chance to kind of summate and stuff, but we were just talking about, uh, during the break, we were talking about the election and uh, how this election may is probably one of the most important ones that's happened in Anchorage in a long time. There's five assembly seats up, and uh, Kathy was just saying there are good, strong candidates, uh, more conservative candidates in all five of those seats that are up for election. And if they all get elected, it would create an immediate 
conservative majority in the assembly. Um, so now is the most important time for listeners in the South Central area to be paying attention and to go out and actually vote. Mm-hmm. Kathy? Yes, that's right. And, you know, our elections, uh, I, I hear the frustration from people about how the elections have been run in the past. Um, I've spent a lot of time down in Election Central looking at how they're doing things. And, you know, the solution is to not throw our hands up in the air and say we can't get it done. The solution is to overwhelmingly put our ballots in. And that's what we need to do. Um, anyone that want, is dissatisfied with the way Anchorage has been run for several years, uh, if you would fill out the ballot for the five candidates and two school board candidates that we have that right. are running the school board is a major issue. And that's Mark Anthony Cox and Rachel Rice. Um, and then the five of us, Kathy Hensley, Stephanie Taylor, Kevin Cross, Liz Vasquez, and Randy Salt, we would have an immediate majority. With the mayor and the citizens of Anchorage, we could make some changes and make Anchorage a wonderful place to live again. I love Anchorage. I'm not ready to give up on Anchorage. I won't give up on Anchorage, and I know that we can do it. Well, and I know that, as you mentioned, there is a bit of people are weary. I mean, people are, you know, they're they're wore out. I mean, they were wore out politically, uh, you know, from the elections, uh, from the, the continual polarization, the divisiveness that we see. Uh, on the national level, which kind of sucks all the oxygen out of the room, and we sometimes we fail to pay attention to what's going on in our own backyard, and we're just so we're just so damn tired, Kathy. Yeah, I mean, I I totally agree, and and especially conservatives because we are very busy living great lives, uh, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We really embrace that, and we should, but that's not the way the left runs it. You know, this is a career for them. They are very organized, and they have a plan, and the plan is to take over and do things according to their agenda, and they have succeeded in Anchorage, and we just don't have the luxury anymore of saying someone else will do it. We've got to vote. We've got to get out there and knock on doors, make phone calls, gather your friends, ask them if they're satisfied. If they're not satisfied, would you be willing to uh, you know, fill out your ballot and send it in? to make a change for Anchorage. And, of course, again, the old uh, do not grow weary and well-doing kind of uh, tripe. You know, I mean, that's that's what we need to remember, that, yes, I mean, they wear us down. It is, uh, I mean, it is a, 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 a profession for them. We've seen many use assembly positions and school board positions as stepping stones to higher office. And, uh, and, 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 you know, most of the people who are on the more conservative side, they're not interested in being professional politicians. And I think that's the major difference. Yes, we're not, we don't look at government as the end-all be-all. We look at, the, at government as a tool to organize our, our uh, community and, you know, help us to get out of our way and keep our roads going. That's not the way the left looks at the government. The government, they would like, you know, us to turn our money over to them so that they can spend it on what they know is better than for us than we know. You know, they're going to take care of us. We don't want them taking care of us. So we don't need to look at the government as a solution, but we do need to look at the government as uh, something that needs to be taken care of. Right. We need to take care of this institution that we have in our, our political system. It is a good system, but it won't be a good system if we're not involved. Well, you've seen it across the state of Alaska. People get so caught up in all the national pushwa that they can't do a single thing about. 
you know, whether it's uh, Orange Man bad or politics or election mischief or whatever's going around, uh, they all focus on that and they lay by the wayside. They let their their city councils and their borough assemblies slip away from them. You know, places that were traditionally more red than blue or even more red than purple are now. You know, we've got. I mean, look at look at down in the in the Matsu up in the Matsu where we've got you know uh, one of the reddest. reddest uh, boroughs in the whole state and yet they've got an assembly that is heavily progressive until it just got recently switched over i mean it's a it's a we're not paying attention to the important part the stuff that's closest to home that's right and it, it affects our everyday life and that's what i continually hear is okay now i really have to get involved i really don't want to get involved but i need to because it's affecting my children right and my business and my family and so people are they're coming out and and I appreciate it. I'm I'm grateful that we're um, banding together for uh, to make Anchorage better. Yeah, Kathy Hensley, our mm-hmm. guest uh, candidate for Municipal Assembly in Anchorage District Four. Uh, I want to give you a couple minutes here, Kathy, for your elevator pitch. I mean, <laughs> Kathy Hensley's here. She's stuck in the elevator with you. She's got to tell you why she is the candidate versus her opponent or anybody else. Why would uh, why should why should people do that, and how can they get a hold of you? Give us the full pitch here, Kathy. Thanks, Michael. Yes, if you're dissatisfied with the way things have been run in Anchorage for several years and would like a change, I am that change. I bring a conservative point of view, conservative values and principles, and I uh, am interested in growing Anchorage back into a wonderful place to live. Um, my uh, website is hensleyforassembly.com. We have a fantastic organization, which is really indicative of how I plan on uh, working in the city by bringing in amazing people, amazing people that do an amazing job. And so if you would be interested in joining our campaign, we would love to have you. We go out and knock on doors and we make phone calls and we have events and rallies and sign waving. And we also have... We've organized a large group of people to be poll watchers, and we're um, we're organizing that with every uh, conservative candidate for assembly. And it is a it's a well-run organization right now. So if you if you'd like to be part of it, we would love to have you. Uh, get on my website and sign up. Come to an event. Um, I'm at Sip Coffee on Tudor every Saturday from nine to ten, and then we go out door knocking from ten to one. Um, and then uh, on Wednesdays, I'm at Little Dipper Diner on Diamond from noon to 12. I, or, I'm sorry, noon to 1. And I just invite anybody who has a question or would like to, you know, talk to me and see if, if uh, I might be the candidate for you. I'd love to meet you. And uh, thank you for being involved in this wonderful city. Kathy Hensley, uh, Anchorage Assembly candidate, District 4, hensleyforassembly.com. Kathy, good luck. Uh, we hope that uh, we hope that you get a lot of support, and we hope that uh, people have been convinced or have heard about it, or at least will share this uh, with their friends and relatives later on the replay or on the uh, or on the uh, podcast. Uh, we need to get more folks like you in there. So, thank you for coming on board. We appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. I also I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, thank you. Always, always happy to oblige. That's what I uh, want to <laughs> do here. So, thank you so much for coming on board. Um, all right. Um, you know, folks, this is this is my final thoughts here as we get ready to wrap up the show today. What Kathy and I were just talking about is probably the biggest detriment to the more conservative side of the equation. 
you know, the, the liberals, the progressives, they're very much a kumbaya communal mentality, right? It takes a village, et cetera, et cetera. And so they get a little bit of that bump of esprit de corps. Oh, we're all part of it. We're all part of something greater. It's part of that narrative that I talk about, you know, that only through the benevolent intervention of government can society move forward. And so, you know, on the other side of it is those of us who are more rugged individualists and, you know, we kind of fight back against being part of a group. We kind of fight back against, you know, being told what to do. We kind of fight back against that. And while I admire that, there are times when we need to come together and we definitely need to come together right now. We definitely need to come together right now, make a difference in Anchorage, uh, down in Anchorage. Also, you know, in this fall in the municipal or excuse me, in the general elections, the rank choice voting, all that. We've got to do these things, folks. We cannot grow weary in well-doing. We stop paying attention to all the stuff that's going on at the national level that you can't do a thing about. You want to make a difference, make a difference in your community. Make a difference in your city council, your road service area, your 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 community uh, you know, c- council, your, your borough assembly. Make those differences. And be kind. Live well. Love one another. We'll see you tomorrow, folks. Jill says the biggest problem is that many are talkers, but too few are doers willing to step in, roll up the sleeves, and do the job. And they think they can't, or they think they can't. It's human nature. You see it over and over again in all aspects of life. But we make a difference when we become doers. And it starts from the ground up in the smallest organizations and committees, etc. Get get involved and become a doer. It matters more than you know. And that that's the best way to, to finish up the day. Because that's exactly it. You can't just talk about it. You can't just gripe about it. You've got to do something. And I know it's tiring. I know you're sick of it. I know it's frustrating. But don't give up. That's how they win. Right? Don't let the bastards grind you down. I can't remember the Latin phrase for it, but that's the English translation. Don't let the bastards grind you down. All right, my friend. We will see you tomorrow for Firearms Friday, the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio.
We've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show. <laughs> 